This is the Bob McCown Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Darren Millard back in for Bob today as we prepare for a great week. Dave Hodge joins us starting tomorrow. Uh, but today, Darren, a little baseball and a lot of basketball because Canada has qualified for the Olympics in Paris with the men's basketball team. I hope the Blue Jays can do what the basketball guys did, soothe my anxiety. You, you, were, you were anxious about Canada's basketball team? Yeah. After what happened <laughs> the game prior against Brazil? Yeah. Yeah. Now I need well, the baseball guys to come through. Well, they're playing the Oakland A's, so there's a very good chance of that. As I mentioned, baseball and basketball today. Paul Jones later, but right now, John Paul Morosi. Oh, yeah. And Bobcat will show up a little later as well. This is the McCallum Podcast. Hi, this is Bob McCallum for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the McCown Podcast. Darren Millard in today for our buddy Bob. Actually, Bob will be back uh, later in the show just to give us a little bit of an update. We'll also talk to Paul Jones about uh, Canada at the FIBA Basketball Championships and qualifying for the Olympics for the first time in 24 years. Kind of exciting. But now, you know, we got lots of criticism last week, Darren. Too much hockey. Too much hockey. So I we're going to talk it. to Moro. We're going to we're going to talk about uh, hockey with Morosi. No, no. So J- JP's here to talk <laughs> baseball. Baseball first. I was going to say we'll it's kind of a, like a, a soft segue off of hockey with JP. <laughs> well, except that JP, I talked to JP yesterday. He says, "Well, can we talk some hockey?" Yeah. So uh, hey, so now JP, you're our Michigan guy. What about these stories about Patrick Kane? Come on. Hey, well, uh, first of all, John and Darren, it is, it's a great pleasure to be with you both. Uh, hey, I would love it uh, if we saw Patrick Kane come in to Detroit, and certainly we'll see how things unfold. I, I would have to imagine that uh, Patrick will wait and see how things uh, go with the initial part of the season. He could almost be one of the top trade deadline acquisitions, if you will, uh, based on the timing of things. But, of course, he did spend some time in the great state of Michigan with the national team program uh, back in the early days of, the, of that great program. So he's, that's before he's been he around here. Knights. That's before he went to the London Knights. Though. That's so true. That's true. Now, <laughs> exactly right. He did go to London in his draft year and, and had a, a great deal of success there. But this is where, for the Wings, they've already gotten to bring it in. They've made a lot of moves this offseason. They want to find a way uh, to perhaps leave a great impression on, on Patrick and the overall industry and show that they're ready to make the playoffs. But I thought, John, you were going to, the other point you might've made as you talk about Michigan is that uh, a great photo uh, from the game on Saturday in Ann Arbor. And yeah, there was a football game going on, but of much greater note, 
on the sidelines of that football game, all arm in arm, all wearing maize and blue, the three Hughes brothers before they head off to uh, training camp. Of course, two will be together, but you've got Quinn there with Jack and Luke and, and the boys all enjoying a, a football game on a Saturday. So I thought it was a great picture and a great way to close the hockey offseason and get us started here on football. And of course, the, the pennant stretch drive in Major League Baseball. Well, that means that uh, Adam Fantilli uh, should not be wearing maize and blue, even though he would probably want to, because he's got to endure himself to those Buckeyes uh, before the, before this is all too uh, all too late for him, because he's now going to be in uh, hard and fast in Columbus uh, with uh, Mike Babcock. All right, back to baseball. Um, just how frustrating are the Toronto Blue Jays these days? When you think about it, you know they win. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be pressed by the Colorado Rockies. They shouldn't be pressed by the Oakland A's, but they are. Well, John, it's a really interesting question, and I've got a couple of thoughts on the Jays. Number one, they should not be in the position they are in now. They should have banked many more wins in the first five months of the season, such that they're not desperate to find ways to win games in the early days of September to make sure that they just get into the playoffs. This is a team that we thought was going to be, and who knows, might still be a World Series contender, but they have not quite played to that level during the course of the season. Now, all of that being said, in a time of year when you need to win games, you need to certainly dominate series and ideally sweep them. However, it looked they did take two of three against Colorado. They did win a very nervy game against Oakland. Uh, extra innings were required to do it uh, on Monday. So you've taken three out of four to begin this road trip. And you've done it with uh, really having to rely on a lot of younger players because of injury, whether it's Davis Schneider, Spencer Horwitz has been really important. They've had to have Biggio now playing on an everyday basis. Espinal was the hero late in, in the game yesterday. They now, of course, with Jansen out, uh, they have to rely on Heinemann in addition to Kirk. So it's a different cast, no doubt about it. But I, I think that this team has shown some character and maybe with the bats getting well at Coors Field, which tends to happen when you play in Colorado, uh, that might be something that carries on with some renewed confidence uh, heading into what I believe is going to be the series that decides it all, which is one week from right now against the Texas Rangers at home. Is this team rewriting their DNA in a way, like becoming a scrappy team instead of Bo and Vladdy? Darren, it's a great question. I think that that's what's happening. It's happening out of necessity. It's happening on the fly. Uh, Vladdy still is a threat, and he's had some good at-bats. Uh, but I, I think this team is is realizing they're going to have to win games, Darren, uh, with a collective effort and, and deep, thorough at-bats. Biggio is not going to be someone that can produce in the way that Bo – did and can but cabin does work a professional at bat he does see a lot of pitches so it's a different kind of approach and i think when you consider the way that he has played and the way that schneider has played the way horowitz is playing right now varsha has been certainly a little bit better of late too the, there is a different acknowledgement that they're going to need to have a diversity of offensive approach as opposed to just waiting around for Vladdy to save them with an MVP type season. I think any of us that have watched this team play over the five plus months of the regular season, we realize that Vladdy is just not having an MVP type season. It's, it's not happening this year. He can still be a very good hitter, but he's not the player he was a couple of years ago. 
And so I, I do think that there's an acknowledgement. Maybe it's by John Schneider. Maybe it's by the hitting coaches overall. Hey, we've got to take a different approach. And it seems to me that the, the overall offense is understanding this, internalizing it. Uh, when they get Belt back, I think he's been a really important player. Of course, he missed some time recently uh, with the stomach virus. But there's a belief that you know, Belt is someone that's going to have a, a tremendous impact down the stretch. And this is not going to be a team, Darren, that superstars their way to to a, a, a probably a, a division title or anything beyond that. They're going to have to grind. John Schneider has said that. And at least through the first four games of this road trip, I think we're actually seeing it uh, demonstrated pretty well. Don't forget Ernie Clement. He's, yes, he's been he is. a pretty good, good source of, uh, of, of both both sides of the ball, offense and, and defense. I, but uh, on the topic of Guerrero, um, and just in, in listening to people and, and reading about it, I, I have never seen more criticism of Guerrero in his time in Toronto than right now. And I, I'm not sure whether it's, disappointment or just you know critical thinking because he hasn't been able to to reach those key moments and hit that key ball very often this year and that has to be frustrating for the team and for him you're right john because it's it's a difficult conversation to broach when you've got a hitter who's that talented to then explain to him okay we have to make an adjustment to your hitting well he's been a hitting genius since he was in the cradle, uh, you know, basically because of his father and growing up around the game. So I, I think it's, it's a challenge really John and Darren to be able to approach a hitter of his caliber and offer a very constructive and detailed critique of what he can do differently. I think he knows what he's supposed to do more, which is elevate the ball, catch it out front, hit more line drives, fewer easy rollover ground balls uh, to the infield. He knows all of that. So it's not as though the the information is novel that's coming into him. It just seems that for whatever reason, his his timing, the exit velocity, the launch angle, whatever you want to call it, by any metric, it just hasn't been there. And mm-hmm. I, I think that part of it is, John, that Jays fans realize correctly that an MVP-type season from him is probably the difference between having to fight for your playoff life right now and being in there comfortably by several games that to me is is apparent i mean he he represents that difference that delta between where they are now and where they could be i think it's also amplified because he is in so many ways to to a blue jays fan one of their own you think about his of course he was born in montreal um we've we've all watched him grow up and so i think there's there's that connection in a visceral way to him that is not there with a lot of other players. And so you feel as though he's your own guy. And so you're almost expecting more of him. He wants to succeed. Clearly Uh, we can tell how badly he wants it, but this is one of these sports where trying harder or, or working on more adjustments or thinking more about it is not always to your benefit. And, and it comes at you every single day. He does play with a very good consistency in terms of, of his availability and when you're in there every day, mentally, you don't have that space to to sit back and and reflect and make an adjustment. So I, I, I don't know that it's going to get better. I also don't know what the heck is going to happen this offseason, mm-hmm. whether it's you consider trading him, you consider what a longer-term extension would look like. I happen to think that it's 
really difficult to sign him to an extension now because his value is down. So his agents are not going to want to make a, a deal based on a down year. And the, the Jays candidly, what's the argument exactly to, to sign someone to a massive deal when they've produced at a league average level this year, it's, it's a, it's a complicated, nuanced, frustrating situation. And all that being said, if something clicks and it can, he could have a monster final month of the season and help this team get into October and beyond. That, that's the the magic of baseball and how when you've got a, a really talented player, uh, more often than not, it's it's always a, a good bet to bet on supreme talent, which I think Vlad still has. We're so uber-focused on on the here and the now with Vladdy and what happened uh, this season, but how far off realistically is he from a Vladdy year? Like, Are we 10%? Are we 20% uh, off of of what he could be? That's a great question, Darren. I, I think that from a typical Vladdy year, we're probably about 20% off from the MVP candidate year. It's probably more like 30 or 35% off it's a lot in terms of value. Yeah, it's, it's big because if you look at, and we've been tracking this at different times during the course of the year, Darren, where you look at, and it wins above replacement is not always the best metric to go to, but it is helpful just to give you a gauge of, of the overall, the base running, the yeah. defense, the the offense. And and he's pretty consistently, if you look at fangraphs.com, he's been average this year. He has been an average player when you when you include everything in there. And and that's why, even if you look at the offensive numbers and it says, well, he's he's above average, uh, and and he may well be above average, but at first base, you're supposed to be above average. So, mm -hmm. so above league average, broadly speaking, if you lump in all the outfielders and shortstops and second basemen and catchers offensively, yeah, I mean, if you look at the whole league, he's still, by that measure, above above the league average. But for first baseman, he is almost in the exact center of the sport. He's been behind guys like Ryan Noda of the Athletics. Uh, Lamont Wade Jr. of the Giants, you know, guys that are not household names in the sport, but th this is one of those positions where, because of the defensive profile of a first baseman, you're supposed to be able to find someone who can play a passable first base and and get on base and hit for some occasional power. You're supposed to be able to find guys like that. Uh, whereas what Bo Bichette does is more unique because there's a defensive component at a premium position. And I think that's where it's going to be really challenging for Vlad to say, I deserve an extension of X amount of dollars for the long term, because a front office would say, well, wait a minute. If, if, if your name wasn't one that our fans were so connected to, we'd look around and say, you know, how different is your year now from what we were seeing from Lyle Overbay on a year over year basis, 15 years ago. And wow, the, the yeah. answer is, holy smokes, bring out probably the Lyle not Overbay that different. And, and Lyle, by the way, Lyle had a really good career, but that's, yeah. that's the point. Lyle was a good league average first baseman. And, and that's what Vlad is right now. Any chance that the MVP year that, you know, that he got so close to that, uh, that award was the outlier. It's possible. And it's been said before uh, I've, I've got to go back and I, it may have been Jeff Blair who noted this, but remember that year was was one of those years where there were some games in Buffalo. It was not it was not a a quote unquote normal year in terms of right. where he was doing his hitting and what the routine was like. Um, and so was that different? What was what was the story with that particular season? It's it's a worthwhile question to ask, John, because he hasn't 
He hasn't done that this year. He hasn't done that actually any year outside of that one where he's been one of the best three or four offensive players on the planet. And I think that's where all of this comes in. Um, What is his true level? What can we truly expect? He is still notably a very young player. And, And this is where it becomes tricky for the Jays. Yeah, you could trade him. And, and if you get back um, a third baseman to replace Chapman and, and you get back a center fielder to replace and give you some uh, insurance if Kiermaier doesn't come back, there's a way you could make that a reasonable move and, and a logical trade. But you have to realize, too, that with a player this talented, it's still in there somewhere. And the mm-hmm. Jays are going to have to, I think, risk something and say, well, wait a minute, there's a possibility – that Vladdy goes out there and plays like that again, it might just be that he's reached the level he's going to reach in Toronto, much like, for example, Josh Donaldson had in Oakland, then comes to the Jays and wins the MVP. Sometimes it's just a change of scenery, and the Jays are going to have to, to live with that. And if they det- if they decide to put him out there and trade him, which I think is possible this offseason, they're going to have to live with the reality that they might be giving up someone who then goes to a different place like Philadelphia, different ballpark, hitter friendly. You're in the same lineup as Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto and Trey Turner. And all of a sudden, 45 homers. That's a possibility. And and the Jays have to accept that if they're going to make that trade. They could still do a Florida Panther, get in and do a lot of damage. So so there's some scripts still to be written here. But what's your gut feeling on Vladdy beyond this year? I think that they should, Darren, uh, and and probably will at least gauge interest in him. You know, now if they win the World Series and he has a massive October, yeah. then maybe it's different. But if he's just okay in September and then they they make the playoffs and they're out in the first round, I think you look at your roster very seriously and say we have no choice but to put his name out there and see what we can get for him. You have to. The, at this, we've been talking about this off season. The offseason of 23-24 with this team for years because we've known that that this is the year coming up where you've got two years left of of Bo and two years left of Vlad. And at least in Major League Baseball, when you consider um, the way that valuations work, how challenging it can be to, to trade a player for just one year and what his value tends to look like when that's the case, this is the crucial point where you either... Trade him, sign him, or recognize that you're probably just going to lose him in free agency and he's going to go somewhere else. And you just take the best chance you can for the next two years. That's it. This is basically where the Angels, if you wind the clock back and made that decision, when they didn't trade him at the deadline in 22 or or in the season leading up to that, they were basically saying, we're probably just going to take this to the end. And guess what? They're going to take it to the end. They're probably going to get nothing for him. And that's it. Now, and this is where the Jays have to make the decision, Darren, how optimistic they are about their chances of winning. Because if, like the Yankees last year with Aaron Judge, they had a, an ALCS team. He goes out there and sets the American League home run record. Letting Judge play it out to the end ended up working out fine. Of course, they signed him. That was a good strategy based on how good their team was. The Jays have to be honest with themselves, Darren, about how good they are now and also how good they're going to be going forward because look at how quickly the Yankees roster got old and now almost unfixable, at least in the short term. Mm -hmm. And the Jays, I'm sure with the way that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have looked at building teams for a long time, in some ways there's, there's 
value and virtue in turning it over to young players. Is David Schneider part of the future? Uh, do you think about what Clement's role is going to be? I mean, these are, these are legitimate questions now that sometimes our, our first instinct, Darren, is always, well, go out there and trade the player and get, get, the, get the star player that we know. Their best player the last month was sitting at AAA all season long in, in, in David Schneider. So it's, it's an amazing part of the, of the sport. The final point I'll make before I send it back to you guys on this is, let's remember, Pete Alonso is probably going to be out there this offseason. So that, that serves either two purposes. Number one, would the Jays be interested in trading for Pete Alonso on a one-year basis? That's potential. Or by having Alonzo's name out there and what his price tag is, that will give you something to sort of adjust and calibrate your price for two years of Vlad. What's more valuable? One year of Alonzo, two years of Vlad. I would say two years of Vlad, but Alonzo, the more consistent player, it'll help you price Vlad off of what you think the market rate for Alonzo is going to be. You, you've softened my anxiety over the next month with the anxiety <laughs> over next year. So, yes. so, so, yeah, so, so right. that's good. You, you, you've taken away the pressure of the next month. <laughs> uh, although, I, I, although I will say, when you think about it, I mean, we're hearing that Brandon Belt's considering retirement. You mentioned Kier Meyer considering retirement. You know, the Chapman scenario at third base, he's not had a great second half at the plate. He's great defensively, but has not had a great second half at the plate. Uh, this team, this starting nine may look a lot different next year just by pure attrition more than anything else. And by the way, before you respond, Davis Snyder might be the most popular Jay already in this yeah. in this on this team which which truly to me is amazing why he's become so popular so quickly got a great stash too as part of his uh <laughs> you know part of his style no you're right and and this is and this is the amazing thing and we talk about it we don't have to go uh full on into into hockey now necessarily but it's it, it the, the point I'll make is you look at the Leafs for example you start to wonder to yourself what's the window like when did it actually open when was their best chance to win in this window? How did they ever lose that 3-1 series lead to the Habs? We don't have to go there yet. But but the the this is where I think with the Jays, it's interesting. This is probably the best rotation they've had, I don't know, since the early 90s. I mean, this is a dominant, dominant starting pitching staff. Certainly when they had Halliday, uh, they were great at the top. But I think one through five, it might be this group. So they've got elite pitching now. Then you look back at the lineup in 21 when they had Semyon posting an MVP-like season and Vladdy with an MVP-like season, and they missed the playoffs. And that's where you start to ask yourself, wait a minute, did that window actually open then and we didn't even fully realize it right. and it closed before it ever fully opened? And that, yeah. is, that is why sports are, are so captivating to us why we love talking about it because sometimes we've seen it with different teams and different sports and different eras. The window opens and closes in the span of a couple of years. And you say, wait a minute, there was a window back there. We didn't even realize it was there. And, and, and you start to wonder because of exactly what you're saying, John Chapman leaves. What if Kiermaier leaves? What if belt leaves? And then all of a sudden you look at, at next year and you say, wow, we're staring down the last couple of years of Bo, the last couple of years of Vlad. We're hoping David Schneider finds the magic again. And you're hoping Varsho bounces back. And, and then you're re relying a lot on Kirk. Meanwhile, look at that team in Baltimore. 
who's just getting better by the month and Jackson Holiday, the best prospect in the world, he he might make it up this year. So it's just, it's an amazing thing. You have to always be measuring yourself against the other teams in your division. And who would have thought, guys, that in a year in which Boston was fourth and the Yankees are fifth, that the Jays would have to be struggling and scratching and clawing just to make it to the dance. It's amazing how much better the, the Orioles have gotten and how resilient the Rays have been, that it's this um, three-team race, nominally at least, with, uh, with the Yankees and Red Sox not even part of it. Well, and, and this all speaks to a, a few things, including a more balanced schedule. Right. Uh, and you wonder, you wonder how the balanced schedule fits into everything that you talked about, particularly when the, the standings appear to be upside down in this division right now. Um, I got to ask you about two things. First of all, how crazy is the wild card race in the National League? I mean, this is nuts. I, I checked it again last night, and uh, I mean, if you thought you were home free, the San Francisco Giants, well, you're not now. And all of a sudden, Joey Votto and the Cincinnati Reds are clawing their way back into it. It is an amazing story, and it's hard to imagine not having a playoff race in baseball anymore. Well, you're right, John. I think that we're going to see a, a fantastic wild card race. We're already seeing it in the National League. And uh, certainly the, the team, the one team that I would say it's not part of the wild card picture right now because they're a division leader is Milwaukee. And they're going to be a very dangerous team for the Braves or Dodgers to have to handle in the course of, of the postseason. But I, I think you're absolutely right about the caliber of teams that we've got right now in, in the National League wild card. I think the Cubs are playing tremendous baseball. Cody Bellinger in a normal year, of course, you've got two Dodgers, two Braves in the NL MVP conversation, but there's, I think, a very strong case that Bellinger belongs comfortably in the top five uh, in, in the NL MVP conversation. The Reds, to your point, they've been excellent. The Giants are still part of it. The Diamondbacks have played better, too. So uh, I think this is where, and we've seen it so many times, it's the hot team that gets in. The, the Jays uh, were susceptible to that a year ago when they faced the Mariners in round one, and Seattle just was on a roll, and they came back in game two. There was a lot of belief there. And I think when you have to play your best baseball late in the season, it translates well to postseason baseball. And mm -hmm. and you look at the Cubs, some some really unexpected names. You've got Javier Assad has pitched really well in their rotation. Um, Jordan Wicks has been great too, a, a prospect that's come up. The Cubs, for me, are a dangerous team. Jamer Condelario came over at the trade deadline, so I think they're a team to watch carefully. Um, the Giants are a team that I think, to your point, have maybe shown a little vulnerability here in, in recent days, the Cubs playing them right now. So I, I think it's going to be a really exciting race. And what I believe is a much more balanced National League picture than we thought, where there's been this belief, oh, it's the Braves and Dodgers, no question about it. I I don't think so. I think there's there is some vulnerability, especially now with the Dodgers side of things, to where it would not surprise me at all if, if we see the Brewers playing in the NLCS. Okay, uh, you, you touched on the Dodgers. We have to talk about the Urias situation, uh, the, the sexual assault situation, the battery. Um, for all the good things that have gone on in baseball this year, so many good things. Uh, the, the new rules have helped. The games are exciting. The playoff races. Another black eye for baseball or another black eye for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Right. So he was uh, he was arrested on suspicion of, of domestic battery uh, right. on uh, Saturday evening into, into Sunday. So that was the, the story that uh, emerged from Los Angeles. Um, and certainly in the past, Urias was suspended uh, once four years ago 
under baseball's domestic violence policy. Um, he's not with the team right now while the Dodgers continue to gather information. And I think broadly speaking, John, he was, he was given that second chance years ago uh, to come back and, and had regained a lot of his uh, popularity and, and goodwill in the years since then. But now that there's this second incident, um, it's deeply concerning for the game. It's, it's certainly concerning for the Dodgers. Uh, you have to wonder to your point, and, and there are a lot of facts right now that we don't know. There's a lot of right. um, a lot of information about it that has not come out yet. So I'm hesitant to to comment really in any detail because, frankly, we don't know a lot right now. Other than to say, uh, being arrested is is a serious situation, and obviously baseball is looking into it now. And and if it is found that there was an offense committed, um, you have to wonder at what point in time does he get back on a major league mound? Is, is it even possible for him to get back on a mound this year? Uh, I think that there's certainly in, in the, in baseball, there is a, a belief in, in the power of second chances, but this was a second chance. And, and so again, we wait to see what more specific information is out there, uh, but uh, it, it's to the point now where if, if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers, I think internally, you have to confront the, the possibility that based on whatever the severity of the information is that comes out, do you, do you prepare yourself to move on without him in the near term and in the long term as well, when you consider that his contract does expire after this season? Well, and what, 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 you know, the, I, the reason I say Dodgers is the whole Trevor Bauer thing was disgusting. Um, so, you know, this is, this has got to be a concern for Rob Manfred. You know, when you look with the Wander Franco in, in Miami as well, it's, it's got to be a huge concern of, of the image of baseball uh, uh, at, at this time of year. Right. And I, I do think that you, you mentioned several prominent players who have, who have uh, been either in investigation of uh, under investigation by baseball's domestic violence or sexual violence policy or disciplined as, as Bauer was for, for multiple years, really, and uh, effectively has brought about the end of his time in Major League Baseball, at least for the time being, and, and perhaps indefinitely. Uh, I, I think that it's it shows, first of all, that that baseball has uh, has a policy that does allow them to render suspensions apart from the the legal process. But I think John and Darren, the big question here, and it's not just a baseball issue it's a it's a pro sports issue is is how how do leagues how do teams how do positive mentors within the sports family and organization how do they reach people before these things happen in terms right. of uh more positive guidance and and really talking through things and having conversations in advance about the proper way to conduct yourself in a, in a relationship, in a family setting um, in, in your community. And I, I think that baseball and the union um, I know they have done a lot of uh, strong work in this area about, about speaking with players on an annual basis and having different presentations about domestic violence. But this, uh, this, la these cases that you mentioned, John are, are very disturbing reminders of the need to have more frequent interventions, perhaps, and more consistent conversations, uh, both on a from a professional basis and also peer to peer about about 
accountability and what it means to to be a, a good citizen and a good person uh, much more important than, than being a good ball player. Well said, JP. Uh, hopefully the next time we, we talk to you, we're uh, lining up for uh, the playoffs and we're having a good time and talking about positive stuff in baseball rather than the, the human element of the game. Appreciate your time. Look forward to it, John and Darren. Always, always enjoy the conversations, my friends. Uh, have a great show this week. Thank you. You're the best, buddy. Thanks. John Paul Morosi, Major League Baseball Network, with us for part one of this show. This is like the old-fashioned radio show, Darren. Uh, Paul Jones is next to talk about Canada in Asia at the FIBA Championships. We are on to the Olympics, boys. We'll enjoy it with Paul Jones after this. This is the McCowan Podcast. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast. Darren in today for Bob. And here is Paul Jones, who, uh, where's your flag? Listen, full disclosure, you, you, as you always, Darren knows this, as yep. it always happens, Darren, does John not always get the last word? Because I was going to change into the, <laughs> I, I got it right here. Let me show, let me show people. I was going to change into my this is Canada really good basketball. For, uh, this is good for podcasting. Put a Canada yeah. basketball shirt on. Okay, we got it. We got it. It's out there of focus. There you go. It's okay. Fantastic. Uh, I was going to put I was going to put the Canada basketball shirt on and okay. wear the hat. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. But as always, as we know, John gets the last word. It's, no, it's no. Like so you a, said you were going to put it on, like being, and John said no. Yes, it's like being an assistant <laughs> coach for Shannon. Right now, Millard, you and I are the assistant coaches. Yeah. We get one vote each, but Shannon has three votes. Mm -hmm. That's it. Well, I'm not even allowed to handle the clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> or you could be a you could be an assistant coach for Mike Babcock, Darren, and not be interviewed ever. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That's true. Fired. That's the that's Shots the way he, uh, that's fired. the way he works. So here we go. I turned the TV on yesterday and was in full angst as they they had to beat Spain to qualify for the the tournament for the uh, to, for the quarterfinal. They had to beat Spain to qualify for the Olympics this early. And they did. And it was, I mean, between R.J. Barrett, Dylan Brooks, and then Shea Gilgis-Alexander, it truly was a storybook day for Canada, wasn't it? It was, John. And, um, you know, the FIBA game is different. The NBA game has lots of possessions. There's always big runs. Sometimes you get up in FIBA by 10, 12 points, and the game's only in the 70s. There's not a lot of time to come back. And Canada got down 10, came back, and then now they're down 12 at the end of three quarters, and they come back and win it. And that, that, that's, a, that's a great win for a number of reasons. I mean, the, obviously, it puts them into the Olympics. They're still alive for a, gold, uh, a medal of any sort, hopefully a gold in the World Cup. But it's the coming of age for some of these young guys. Three, four years ago, John, not sure this team comes back like that. But some of these guys now, Shea's 25, uh, you know, uh, Dylan Brooks is 26, Dwight Powell's in his 30s, Kelly Olynyk's in his 30s. The only real young, young guy is R.J. Barrett in that sense. But R.J. Barrett's had a gold medal in a previous world championship at the under 19. So it's a real come-of-age win for Canada, John and Darren. Well, it's weird, too, because they look like they had it sewn up prior to and blew the lead and then had to come back the hard way like it, it was a double 
feisty battle, dig deep and get through it type effort the last couple of games. Yeah, it was. It, it, it was. And listen, they put themselves in that position by losing the game to Brazil. Yeah. And mm-hmm. people were, you know, the hands, the consternation, oh, here we go again. And the way they've been playing, I, was saying I it. said it. No, but that that one loss, Darren, was an aberration. It, it truly was. And I think you saw the real team against world number one Spain. It was Brazil, had them flummoxed, played a style that were, they weren't used to, slowed them down. I mean, here's a team that was averaging 90-plus points a game, scoring 60-something against Brazil. It was a one-off. It really was. And, and I, had, I had faith in the team, uh, the team that Rowan Barrett built, and, and Jordy Fernandez as the coach, with a, a seasoned coaching staff, by the way, that, that they would get it done. Hey, scouting report, Canada, Slovenia. Uh, Slovenia had all kinds of trouble guarding Germany, uh, who Canada can play very much like, mirror them in terms of small, quick lineups. And Jordy Fernandez has seen Luka Doncic before, has schemed for him before in the NBA. And arguably, Luca doesn't have as many NBA-type players around him, although he has good players. And I think it's take the ball out of Luca's hands, and when he does have it, make him work, and then force them to play defense. Does the tournament result have any bearing on seeding at the Olympics? Uh, I don't know, Darren. I have to okay. dig deeper into that. That's a great question. Uh, I just knew that there were seven spots open, two from the Americas, you know, Australia, even though they didn't make it to the medal round, got a spot from the Oceania qualifier. Mm. Uh, South Sudan didn't make it to the quarterfinals, but they were the top African nation. They got a spot. I'll have to dig deeper into that because there's some more backdoor qualifying stuff uh, that's going on in in, uh, in February. So I would think it does, uh, but I have to dig deeper into that. I, you know, I the one the question, because uh, like for me, the tournament's done in a way, like, qualified book your spot let's go uh i i i really do think that the 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 podium stuff has a lot to do with it uh like i said i'm i'm more focused on that right now i'll have to dig into that that's a great question but um you know i was texting with coach jordy fernandez i'm in a group chat with him and my brother mark who does the games in sacramento where jordy's an assistant and both of us having played for canada we have a three-person group text going, and I finally said to Jordy, should you not go to bed? It's 4 p.m. in the afternoon here in the East Coast. Um, that means it's 3 a.m. In, in Jakarta or in the Philippines. Are you not planning on getting some sleep? And that's the kind of guy he is, really hardworking. And he said, no, I, I want to meddle out of this. I, I, we, you know, People have said we've made Canada proud, but we're, we want to stand on the top of the podium. That's awesome. For people who aren't uh, international basketball fans, um, can you put this in context for this generation? Uh, probably the biggest win there is for this generation from, I'd say, 2015 on, uh, John. Um, there were so many near misses in Mexico, uh, you know, to, to the Czech Republic in Victoria. And finally, they've, they've gotten over the hump. They've, they've gotten past the demons. And, um, you know, they're an Olympic team right now. So I, it's a huge win for this epoch, this era of, uh, of the program. Uh, 
and it erases some of the disappointments. I mean, we're of the same vintage, John, and, and we saw in 76 losing a bronze medal in Montreal. We saw mm -hmm. 84 where they lost a bronze medal to Yugoslavia, couldn't get past Jordan and Ewing in the U.S. And, and it just, there were so many near misses. This group has finally passed the, okay, it was a near miss, we'll get them next time stage. I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, in our lifetime, in the highlight for Canada internationally in basketball for the men's side really is the Pan American Games. That was it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and when they beat the Americans uh, in Edmonton. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, so the, the other one, the, the other one, Paul, is, is that this has got to be such a relief for everybody within the organization on so many levels because they don't have to go to a qualifying tournament. I mean, this oh, is because because how many times have we gone to those qualifying tournaments and said, well, we've got to get a break. And then at the end of the tournament, we say, ah, typical Canada. And this is not typical Canada anymore. This is no, a, a bunch of ballsy young guys that are as cool as cucumbers in key times. And, and John, I think, as I said off the top, and, and you make a great point, cool at key times. And that's the experience. That's the coming of age of people like. Shea and Dylan Brooks and like I said Dwight Powell and Kelly Olynyk playing into their 30s and and you know all of the other guys Lou Dort like like this this they finally understood how to get it done and people were just waiting to say oh here we go again here same old Canada and John I got to tell you as a board member the emails flying around between people on the board uh yeah. you know the the it's the old Pat Riley line. There was no winning and losing. There was misery and relief, and, <laughs> and we felt we felt the relief. Hallelujah! We we qualified for the Olympics, and I just I just pushed the button to book my hotel in uh, Lille, France, next year, where the preliminaries are going to be going on. So uh, it is a big relief. All I know oh, yeah. is that Brian Brian Cooper, at the uh, you know who's the chairman of the board, is is trying to get fitted for his Olympic garb already. So he can march in the opening ceremony. So that, that's that's all right. That's yeah, it's, awesome. and good for Coop. He's he, you know he's he's done a great job as a chair of the board. Uh, Michael Bartlett has done a terrific job as the CEO, COO, CEO of of fundraising and sponsorships. And we don't have the same monetary issues. And John and Darren, I got to give a lot of credit to Rowan Barrett as the general manager, a kid from Scarborough who played for Canada who built this team. And, and we've had a lot of Canadians, Canadian teams be successful with outside influences. This is a Canadian kid building it from within. And uh, Rowan deserves a lot of credit too. If I promise not to talk, can I be part of your chat group? Make it a four person chat group. <laughs> uh, yeah. Learn? We'll give you some basic X's and O's because we were talking about the adjustments that that Jordy made uh, because let's face it, um, they were doing exactly what Brazil did. Spain was doing, I mean, Sergio Scariolo is no slouch. I mean, that's Jordy's mentor being Spanish and having coached with Spain. And and Sergio was paying attention to what Brazil did. And Jordy made some adjustments and Sergio didn't quite have the next move. Plus, I think we had the best player on the floor in, in Shea Gilgis Alexander. There was no you know, who gets the ball? What do we run? You put the ball in the hands of your best player and let him make the decisions. And he made, he scored, he found Dylan Brooks. 
he found you know people open and and uh you know th they got it done and, and again that's the experience coming through and, and give credit where credit's due you know we rail on this podcast and even on the old radio show of professional <laughs> players taking time to understand how important free throws are how important it is to go to the line and make clutch shots and that's yeah. what he did three times in the last minute i mean he, he was fantastic he he takes his craft seriously john and and he was one of the top free throw shooters uh on the 91 percent. yeah he does he does he misses as often as, a, as i make a mortgage payment so you know he missed one earlier in the game and i thought okay that's it he's not missing anymore yeah. he's he's missed his one for the month before we let you go um I, I'm always sentimental about these kind of things. What do you think Nick Nurse is thinking? I texted Nick. Um, I texted Nick and, and as a board member said, you know, thanks for, um, you know, he felt the frustration after the loss to the Czechs in, in Victoria. After we were down big, came back, had the lead in overtime and let it go. And he realized we need a four-year commitment from guys, just like Team USA did. You can't just roll out your all-stars. And Nick helped secure commitments from all of these guys that even if they didn't play like last year, even if they didn't play, uh, they would be there at camp and learning the system and bonding with guys. And he was very, um, you know, congratulatory of, of the team. And I said, Nick, thanks for helping put some bricks down and helping build this thing. And he said, congrats. You know, I got some sweat in it and I was waking up at four in the morning and watching these guys play and I'm happy for them. Yeah. And not only that, let's remember, maybe by Olympic time, Jamal Murray's in the starting lineup. Wouldn't that, and well, won't that make a difference to this club too? And, and John, you roll out maybe the best backcourt in the world in Shea and Jamal, right? And then very carefully, you got to tinker with the chemistry because now there are guys that may be able to play. Jamal Murray wanted to play. He just, he had a, a long run in the finals. I mean, they start training camp in two weeks. So he just felt his body couldn't handle that. And he wanted to play. He was in camp. What do we make of Andrew Wiggins now, who, you know, had personal issues and couldn't play? Benedict Matherin, uh, Andrew Nemhard, Kevin Pangos, all these guys that helped through qualifying. There's a lot of people probably going to put their hands up and say, I want to go to the Olympics. So there's going to be some tough decisions to make. And as I said, probably about six, seven years ago, we are going to come to the point where our Canadian national team has to cut NBA players to make mm -hmm. to get down to a, to a number that we can play with. Isn't that something? And that's the line to get to the Olympics starts behind you, Paul. That's, that's where it starts. Cause you, you're going there to be part of team Canada. 40 years ago, Darren, uh, I, I threw away all my trophies from, high school and university, but 40 years ago, this month, September of 83, I stood on the podium to accept a silver medal for Canada in the, in the Commonwealth basketball tournament. And it's the one thing I've kept. It's all black and tarnished and I'll, I'll probably shine it up, uh, you know, just, just for old time's sake, but uh, it's just the sense of pride that everybody feels right now. Uh, and I, I'm sure you guys are hockey guys. You know what it's like, you know, to, to say, you know, you're, you're, you're world renowned, you're world class. And, and I think the basketball program can say that now. I'm proud of you, buddy. Wish you would have worn a flag or something. 
Uh, yeah. Thanks for this, Paul. Where is it? There, there's the there shirt go. right there. <laughs> I got right video, in Derek. John's Just face. Paul Let the Jones. record show that Shannon had the last vote again. <laughs> Paul Jones, Canada's off to the Olympics. Woo! McKellen Podcast continues with the Bobcat after this. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast, and look who showed up. McCowan, yeah. how are you, Robert? Yeah, the guy's signature's on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here, well, finally. Finally. <laughs> finally. Well, we had yesterday we could have had you on, but Brian Burke took too much time talking about himself. So Yeah, that isn't unusual, is it? No. No, he's no. good. He's talking about his new job and everything. So how are you feeling? No, pretty good, actually. I feel a little better now. I'm walking a bit better the last uh, few days, so not bad, you know. Still ways to go yet. I tell you what, your voice is coming back, big boy. Yeah, it is. It's better, isn't it? It's not 100% by any stretch, no, but it's I, better. I, I, I'm, uh, I, I think you're on the verge of criticizing both Millard and me, so. Yeah. Well, Millard is easy, you know. You got some pep in your step. I like this. Yeah, well, I got pissed off because my car was stolen again last night. So, <laughs> again? What do you mean I, again? Well, they took it about two weeks ago, and they got it back the next day. I went and paid, you know, the tow, towing charge and got it back. Then the insurance company wouldn't call me to check it out, and so it, it sat in the driveway, and uh, they took it again last night. So can you imagine that? <laughs> You need one of those well, old clubs. Remember the clubs going on the steering wheel? Well, no, you can't do that anymore either. What? I checked that out, and he, they said that the club doesn't work. They just take the steering wheel off. <laughs> so there's no way to help. Apparently, the, you can you can download the code from your, your fob. If it's oh, in probably. the house, they can do it on their phone. So it's... I don't know how you how you protect it. So, oh well. What are the well, odds that you're going to get get it back this time? Where, where, where are you putting them at? I hope not. <laughs> well, if you don't get it back, at least they can't steal it again. Exactly. Yeah. So we we just uh, we we've had Morosi on today and Paul Jones on today. Oh yeah. What do you think's a bigger What, what do you think's a bigger story right now in, in your world? Uh, the Jays struggling to win and they keep winning now or the basketball or Canada's, or Canada's basketball. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. Um, the basketball is really interesting, but nothing's going to happen for months, you know, now. So it's not like an ongoing story where the blue Jays are an everyday thing, you know? Yeah. Well, we, we could end up playing the Americans in the uh, feeble. Who world cares? They qualified for the Olympics. That's all you really should care that, about. You don't I'm care about this on that. What? You Sorry, don't care I didn't about hear this you. tournament? You don't care about the tournament? No, not really. Just you know, they got to the Olympics. That's what's important. I know why you don't. I know why you don't care about the tournament. You don't like to get up early. No, well, I'm with Bob on this. Yeah, that's the biggest story. The big story is the Olympics, isn't it? Is not yeah. why they went to this thing. You know, it's not to win some Mickey Mouse tournament. It's well, try and get to the big show. And they've it's done not Mickey that now. Mouse. It's not a Mickey Mouse tournament. Well, who cares? You know, at the end of the day, okay, so even if they win it, what does that mean? What does that mean about in terms of the Olympics or how good you think this team is? 
this is not the team that will play in Paris in the Olympics anyway. But, you know, to get there is at least an accomplishment. Yeah, it was uh, it was signed, sealed, and delivered when they qualified. The rest of it is just cleared Who the cares? way for us to focus on yeah. baseball. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think the Jays get in because the 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 American League West is going to beat itself up uh, trying to get in the wild card. I, I think the Jays are going to get in. Well, you know what's interesting for the for an entire year, the pitching was good, and the hitting could come through, but the last week or so, take a look at how bad the pitching has been. And it's been the hitting, especially the young kids they brought up from uh, AAA. You know, that's been the difference. It's been a weird, weird year. I don't know if they get it or not. I mean, the, the best thing to happen to the Jays is that Houston and Texas are playing each other. Yes. And well, both of sure, them can't yeah. win. That both helps, win. obviously, you know. And they're playing, you know, sub-500 teams. You know, in Oakland, they should they, – you hope they win all three in Oakland. You never know, but um, – I'm a little concerned about the pitching because the last week or so, the starting pitching particularly, even the bullpen, has not been great. And they've been lucky to win a couple of games. All right, Robert. Thank you for this. All right. We'll see you next. Talk to you next Monday. Okay. I'll be here, boys. Thank see you. you, buddy. Goodbye. Well, I know because you don't have a car. You can't go anywhere. to go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so can't drive was, anyway. I, I, I couldn't read. I, I, I couldn't I, I couldn't resist. Yeah. That's Bob McCowan. That's Darren Lord. I'm John Shannon. <laughs> this is the McCowan Podcast. Mm-hmm.